Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series, where we feature the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. In today's knowledge-driven economy, the source of competitive advantage has shifted from tangible assets to market assets, such as brands, customers, channels and market capitalization, and market-based capabilities, such as marketing, operations and innovation. Professor Rajendra Srivastava, Provost, Deputy President, Academic Affairs and a Professor of Marketing at SMU and a highly cited scholar in market strategy, has written one of the most influential articles entitled Market-Based Assets and Shareholder Value, a Framework for Analysis. With a background that combines operations, supply chains, finance and marketing, Professor Srivastava lends a multidisciplinary perspective on management of business processes and corporate performance. His research has opened up a new field focusing on the marketing and finance interface. In this podcast, Professor Srivastava shares his insights and knowledge about the impact that innovation, risk management, as well as market-based assets and capabilities have on the financial performance and long-term sustainability of firms. Professor Srivastava, we understand that you have written an influential paper on marketing and finance interface. Could you tell us more about the work that you have done? Uh, this is... Uh this was a really interesting project. It uh, emerged by talking with uh, managers as to what were some of the issues that they were facing and um, also how to overcome uh, some of those challenges. And in the process of working with the managers, it became clear that although there was a marketing perspective, they, you know, for example, the importance of brands, the importance of customers, there were other perspectives as well. So value creation, we discovered, was really coming out of three types of processes. One process was simply product innovation, improving the existing you know, offerings that a company had. The second way of improving value was through better timing of the delivery, more efficient, more effective supply chain kind of processes. And the third element was more central to marketing, which was related to customer care, educating the customer, making sure that the customer was able to use the products they purchased more productively. So these were the three value drivers from the customer viewpoint. The value drivers, it turns out, from the corporate viewpoint were, of course, making more money. Second was making it faster <laughs> Third, making sure it didn't go away. I'm oversimplifying this notion of financial performance, but those are the three drivers. Making money now, making money in the future, and making sure it doesn't go away. In order to do this, a company had to figure out what were the appropriate investments that they had to make. Companies have a tendency to overdo what they're good at doing. So it is not unusual for an engineering company to over-engineer. For example, at Motorola, they would keep on spending money on product innovation, product improvement, 
to the detriment of putting in enough resources for customer education. If you take a company like Procter & Gamble, they are much more focused on branding. And at one time, they had not come up with the major innovation in many, many years. And when uh, Mr. A.G. Laffley, it's the prior CEO, not the current one, when he came on board, he shifted the attention from just pure marketing to new product innovation. So what I'm trying to say is that sometimes the payoff for companies may be more in learning to do things that they don't do well. Anyway, uh, in this uh, particular analysis, what we ended up by doing was linking those factors that help create customer value to those factors that help create value for the company. So for example, if customers are going to be happier with the services that they are provided, it will lead to a higher level of loyalty, and that higher level of loyalty will reduce the risk or the volatility of the cash flows that the company faces. Similarly, if a customers really trust a company, they would be more willing to adopt new products. And we have seen this happen in spades. When an Apple product comes out, people are lining up and usually they're, they're backed up with orders uh, after a few weeks. On the other hand, lesser known companies will take much longer to sell new products. At the same time, a company can reduce the risk by increasing the rate of innovation. And this makes it difficult for competition to stay up with them. The point I'm trying to make is that there are multiple ways in which one can grow profitability, increase the rate of sales, decrease risk, and many people will put it under the label of different horses for different courses. You don't have to do the same thing. There is no universal solution. And one has to make a judgment on where the investments have to go. The insights that you have just shared with us pertaining to risk management in relation to a firm's sustainability seems to be a perspective that is different from the common notions. Could you elaborate, please? There are three elements in my perspectives on risk that tend to differ from the common notions related to risk management. The three approaches that merit attention are the following. First, one way of managing risk is through good customer management. People do not necessarily equate customer loyalty to lower risk, but that's exactly what it is. If a firm's customers are not available to their competition, that company is then immune to competitive moves. Take Microsoft. Experts pronounced Windows and Office Suite dead over a decade ago, and these products are still thriving because of high customer switching costs and loyalty. Second, companies that are agile and flexible can adapt to changing market trends. A good example is Zara, the fashion company. Zara has invested heavily in flexible manufacturing and IT infrastructure, and it is able to manage in an industry where customers are famously fickle, 
by being able to adjust what they produce to what the market needs. Third, and this is very important, there's a greater risk in not taking risk. Those companies making incremental changes and kicking the investment can down the road on more challenging issues are not doing themselves a favor. Take Kodak. By not fully adopting new technologies, Kodak is just that, a Kodak moment. Since the 1990s, researchers have shifted their attention to market-based assets. It is believed that all the value for a company is not actually within the company itself, but is out there in the ecosystem. How important is this point of view still in today's context? In today's knowledge-driven economy, market-based assets like brands, customers, and channel have the ability to drive future cash flows and market capitalization and may account for over 50% of a company's value. In the case of Apple, over 85% of the value of Apple is not on the balance sheet. This is because Apple owns assets such as brands and influences customers' preferences through the brand. So when Apple introduces a new product, people are lining up to purchase the product even before it hits the market. People are also willing to pay extra for the Apple iPad. So one benefit of having a strong brand or one benefit of having loyal customers is that it actually increases your performance in the marketplace. For firms to succeed in the long haul, they have to identify which of their capabilities to develop and invest in those that are necessary for sustained business performance. So which capabilities would you recommend that companies focus on? The answer is always it depends. Uh, it depends on what a company is good at doing and what they're not good at doing. There's a tendency to, to over-invest in what they're good at doing. Uh, second is that as companies go along a product life cycle, there's a shift in what is necessary to succeed. So for example, when launching a new product, what is important is the ability to manage innovations, manage new ways of doing things. When, when that product life cycle hits a growth phase, what becomes important is the ability to manage the market, to manage to influence your distributors, to get consumers on your side. Later on, when the market is mature, a company needs to be able to shift to issues related to efficiency because the competition at this time is intense and one needs to figure out how to keep the cost structure lower. The reality is that every company, any large company, is going to have multiple products and services. Some are in the innovation phase, some are in the growth phase, some are in the mature phase. So the company actually needs multiple skills to balance the portfolio of services and products that they're offering. Professor, you spoke positively about Apple earlier. However, we all know that Apple is currently facing stiff competition from Samsung. Now, between Apple and Samsung, which company, in your opinion, is better positioned in the market today for tomorrow's challenges? Apple's trump cards are branding and design. 
But if you take a closer look at Apple, they are not leaders in key technologies that feed into Apple innovations. And they have to rely on others, including Samsung, for manufacturing. However, their design is iconic, their brand aspirational, and they are masters in managing the ecosystem. Even Google licenses Google Maps to Apple. But in my opinion, Samsung is better positioned today. Samsung started out with manufacturing and supply chain efficiency. Thereafter, they invested heavily in technology to become a leader in that area. And now they are fast becoming a leading global brand, especially in emerging markets. This puts Samsung in the enviable position of driving all three factors that help create value in the marketplace. They represent a big challenge to not only Apple, but to others in the technological field. We understand that you are involved in research in business model innovation. Could you tell us about some of your findings? Yes, so I have uh, been interested in business model innovation and the research I was talking about linking marketing and financial performance is really closely linked to business model innovations. Um, but my more recent work is focusing on business model innovations in emerging markets. Um, let me just point out a couple of differences between emerging markets and the more established Western markets. First is there's a high degree of fragmentation. Uh, there are real differences in emerging markets such as Philippines versus Bangladesh versus Thailand versus Indonesia and Korea. So you cannot do business the same way in each of these economies because of differences in distribution infrastructure, because of differences in consumers in terms of, the, in terms of linguistics, in terms of socioeconomic capabilities. So you have to adjust how you go about approaching these markets even for the same products and services. The second area that I'd like to point out is that in emerging markets there can be very, very high levels of growth. As an example, if we take Philippines today, which is accelerating, an 8% growth rate in Philippines, and the GDP in Philippines, may mean a 15 to 20% or maybe 25% growth rate in those products that are targeted at the middle class because the middle class is growing a lot faster than the overall economy. As a consequence, one has to make adjustments for that. And earlier on, I mentioned that it's a big mistake to not take the risk. And those companies that are avoiding going into emerging markets are actually taking the risk of subperforming later on when early movers into this market have already taken a good stake in the marketplace. Are there any final points that you would like to share with our listeners? I believe there are four things that companies should worry about. First, the innovation is not just in the product, and they should look at how they can better innovate by increasing value through investments in brands, by increasing the investments in the supply chain. Second, companies should worry about risks, not just returns. To manage these risks, 
certainly it is important to way to look at ways in which they can be more agile and they can respond to changes in the marketplace but importantly reducing risks by investing in customer relationships buys you more time to find fixes third companies need to adopt different business models in different geographies and you can't there is no such thing as one global strategy depending on the nature of the market depending on the nature of the competition you have to adjust the ways in which you go about winning in the marketplace finally and i want to reinforce this that innovation is not invention it is simply finding ways in which you can do things better thank you professor srivastava thank you you were listening to a podcast by the singapore management university Thank you.